and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing and your host. Today, we're joined by our very own Kirsten Butso, one of our premier instructors and someone who spent more than 20 years running the product management and marketing departments of global 500 companies, such as Pearson and Blackboard, before joining our team to spread her passion for the pragmatic marketing framework and the market-driven philosophy. Hello, Kirsten, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. I'm actually very excited to be here. Great. This is a great topic. So Kirsten, here at Pragmatic Marketing, as you know, we teach the Pragmatic Marketing Framework, those 37 key activities needed to build and market winning products. But what I want to talk to you about today is what if those product we're trying to create, improve, market is ourselves? Because I know you believe that we can use the same product strategies to create our own brand and help ensure our career trajectory. Yeah, I think it's a really fantastic question. And I think when we think about building products, very often we overlook starting at home first. And we essentially are a product. We're a product that we have to develop. We're a product that we have to launch. We're a product that we have to cultivate throughout its life cycle. And if we don't think about ourselves this way, we really put our career over the long term at risk. Um, I know that I started my career at a point in time where you go to work for a company, you're there for 35 years, and when you retire, they give you a, a watch or a grandfather clock if you work for a really big company. <laughs> My, my I think of that because my grandfather actually got a, a grandfather clock and you get your grandfather clock and then you ride into the sunset with your pension. Um, and I think it's fair to say that uh, those days are officially over. I think, as a matter of fact, that the statistics are actually very, very sobering. The average number or the median number of years, this is, these are some statistics from the Bureau of Labor the medium number of years that people work with a, a, an employer now is 4.2 years. So that's a far cry from, from 30. And the new average is that an individual is going to have 10 jobs before the age of 40. And so when we start thinking about our career landscape in these terms, we begin to realize that it's really critical. We start thinking about ourselves as a product that has to be managed throughout our career because change happens to us in our careers in a way we've just never before seen. Interesting. So you're, you're saying your career is kind of follows the path of the product life cycle. So there's the beginning and, and peaking and ending. <laughs> Exactly. So if you think about that traditional product life cycle, you know, that kind of traditional bell curve, um, you know, you kind of start out and, and it might actually even dip a little bit when you very first start your career because you don't you don't really know a lot. So you're kind of at a deficit. But as your experience grows, as your responsibility grows, as your success grows, you'll find yourself climbing up that life cycle. But then what's very, very common is as you reach the peak of that bell curve or that life cycle, if you don't continue to grow and evolve and develop, then you will find yourself inevitably sliding down the backside of that bell curve. And so the question becomes, when we start to find ourselves coming to the top of our career life cycle with the skill sets and with the, the success and responsibilities that we've acquired that got us there, 
how do we then leverage that to create extension and make sure that we continue on an upward trajectory? Unless, of course, I mean, there's there's people who make a conscious decision to step back and say, you know what, I don't actually want to continue on a career tra- upward trajectory. I'm happy to stay at a plateau or I'm happy even to, to taper down. But if you're one of those individuals who wants to ensure that you can keep that upward career trajectory, you have to start thinking about how to continually take the temperature of your product, which is yourself, to make sure that you stay in that upward path. That makes sense. And certainly you may choose not to be on that upward path, but you want it to be a choice and not something that's decided for you. Yeah. And if you've ever been in a position, um, you know, it's another kind of interesting experience I had early in my career. Um, when I started my career, I went to work for a $50 billion company. And this was the kind of place that people worked literally for 40, 40 years and then retired. And that's what I thought my career was going to be. And um, unfortunately, after five years, uh, the company decided to shut our division down, despite the fact that we were actually a profitable organization. Now, I was very young at that uh, moment. I'd actually just finished graduate school. And so I didn't really have as much emotional reaction to that event as people who had spent their entire careers. There were individuals in our organization that had been there 25, 30 years, and that was the only job they had known. And to be perfectly honest with you, they had a difficult time recovering from that experience because they they were frankly ill-prepared. And so what we're talking about is making sure that if we ever find ourselves in a situation that like that, that's not of our making, we're prepared. And one of it'd even be better if we took an additional step and just proactively said, hey, I don't want to be prepared in the eventuality that this happens, but I want to be prepared all the time to drive my career in a conscious way where I'd like it to go. Great. All right. So let's follow the whole life cycle. Then let's start with the very beginning, the launch. Let's say someone is just trying to get into product management, product marketing and start their career. Well, I think so. Let's call that 1.0. Let's call that your first uh, first uh, product version. I think the first thing that you have to decide when you get ready to launch is you have to think about the path you want to take. What's the journey? Where are you headed? Because you're going to find that there's a lot of paths to get you where you want to go. But if you don't have an idea of the general direction that you're headed, it's going to be very easy to allow yourself to get sidetracked or to deviate from that path. So before you even launch your product, I think you have to say, okay, I what's the direction that I'm heading? And I think a great analogy is if you think about it, like taking a trip. And if you think about it, say taking a road trip across the United States of America, and you're gonna go from the, the East Coast to the West Coast. And that's your general direction. That's your general path. And so the decisions you start to make about how you're going to launch that product or how you're going to put your product into the market is going to be analogous to the path that you're following. And it's important that you understand the direction that you're headed and um, the different routes that are available to you. So you put yourself on a on a trajectory that's going to take you ultimately where you want to go. If we don't do that, we could find ourselves in a situation where we're driving around and around in circles in the middle of the country, but we're not really sure why and we're not really sure how to get off of that path or that trajectory. And so when you think about embarking on that 1.0 version of yourself or launching your 1.0 version, 
ask yourself, where are you heading? In other words, what's your target for where you want your career to be? What is the industry that is interesting to you? What are your assets? You know, are you great at marketing communications? Are you great at product management? Are you great at management? Do you have great business acumen? What are your assets? And are you leveraging those as you launch yourself into the marketplace with an eye for that path where you want to head? I think to start out, we really have to think about doing a skills assessment and then make sure that we have the right tools in our suitcase that we're packing as we get ready to embark upon that journey. So that's an interesting idea, a skills assessment. How can someone, it can be difficult, right, to really look at your skills and assess them fairly. Sometimes we think we're way better at certain things than others. Sometimes we think we're terrible at it uh, because it's not up to our standards, even if it may be up above everyone else. So talk me through a little bit how someone could do a skills assessment that they think would give them some uh, viable data or answers. So one of the things that I've um, personally done in my career is um, I assembled a project team. Um, And I put together a team of four individuals who know me very, very well, but have very, very different perspectives about my skill set. So these are individuals that I have acquired throughout my lifetime. I have a best friend who I've known since I was a child. I have an executive um, who's been a mentor for me throughout my career. I have um, an individual that I met through my MBA program. Uh, I have an employee who worked for me, and so, and then myself. So I get to be the fifth person on my project team. And so what I've done is I've assembled a team of people who know me and really do know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at based on different perspectives of their interactions with me and my life, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, or whether it was from an education perspective. And when I start um, thinking about doing things like assessing my um, skill sets or assessing my assets that are going to contribute to me as a product, I pull my project team and I get perspective from them. And if I'm going to make big decisions based on what it is I want to want to do or where I want to head, I also pull my product team or my project team. Um, And the great part about this is I start to get a sense for if I have critical mass. So if I get um, you know, four of the five individuals kind of aligning in their assessment, then that gives me a real validation about the path that I think I'm on. If I get the converse of that, one person says, well, you know, you're not really that great at that. And I think that's a, you know, really a bad idea. I'm going to look at that a lot differently. And so I think one of the things you can do is, is open yourself up beyond just yourself and get a very, really seek out an objective opinion about where your skill sets truly lie. And that puts you in a far better position to leverage those assets as you launch yourself into the market. That's a great idea. And then in terms of comparing the skills you have to the skills necessary for where you want to be, would you use the market visit concept there? Would you go and talk to managers of, of a role that you want to get at and talk to them about what they look for in people even outside of open recs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you should always be tapping um, individuals uh, that you you want to go do something. I recently, my niece recently graduated from uh, with her MBA, as a matter of fact. Um, and one of the things that I really encouraged her to do is, is um, spend some time 
writing down uh, five industries that she thought were interesting to her. So things that might uh, tap into a personal passion for her. And then I asked her to write down the skills that she had. And then I asked her to leverage that information and seek out people from those industries. And and I also asked her, uh, let me back up. I also asked her to write down the type of roles she thought she wanted. So industries, skills, and roles. And then I asked her to reach into individuals within those industries through networking groups, um, through LinkedIn, doing research on LinkedIn, however she could tap into it and go have informational conversations. Tell me what this industry is like. Tell me what a job in it is like. Tell me what types of skills you look for for somebody in this type of role that I think I might be interested in. And through that process, she was actually very, uh, she was able to very quickly kind of narrow it down from five to two. Because through those dialogues and through those conversations with individuals who are out in the market and already doing those jobs, she learned that some things were actually, you know, much, they were aligned with what her perception was it was going to be like, and some weren't. And so she could whittle those out very quickly. And so it's very similar for that uh, market visit kind of work that we do when we go out and we start looking for those patterns and those trends that we can then come back to ourselves and and validate, hey, is this something I really want to pursue or is this something that I want to set aside? Because it turns out it doesn't sound like it's very well aligned. I think that's a great idea. And it feels like something you could do regularly so that you were always kind of looking at the next possible steps and doing those kind of interviews. Um, because sometimes you might find something that is in fact really attractive, but the gap is bigger. And so you're going to need time and years in order to work towards that. So you don't want to necessarily wait to have those interviews just until, oh my gosh, I need a job now. That might be too late. No. And I think a really great example of that, you make a really great point, Rebecca, is very often, you know, I think there's kind of there's kinds of buckets of ways that we want to think about evolving ourselves throughout our career. You know, one of one of the ways I think about is I, I'll, I'll call it market penetration. So market penetration being, hey, we already have a good solid set of skills. We're well established in an industry. We're well established on a particular type of career tra- trajectory. I'm just going to continue to penetrate or evolve having a very, very deep skill set in a particular area. For example, let's say that I have a very robust career with product management in a tech industry going on, and I'm looking to evolve my skills. Maybe I go to a pragmatic marketing course. Maybe I take an agile course, and I'm just constantly looking at the landscape, and I'm looking for what the trends in the industry are. So I'm always developing a a broad and deep skill set. Um, it could be that you need to engage in a, in a deeper product development strategy where you've been very deep in a particular area and you realize in order to evolve your career, you've got to go get brand new skills. Or in other words, you've got to add complete new attributes or features to your product. And I think a really great example of this might be something like um, when I was in um, grad school, actually, uh, there were a lot of engineers in my class uh, from Intel and Motorola. I happened to go to Arizona State University, and and those happened to be big employers in, in, uh, in, in the town. And they knew that in order for them to evolve their careers beyond an engineering manager, to move into those business managerial roles within those organizations, the company had an expectation that they also had a business degree. And so there were a lot of engineers in my course who were off getting their MBA 
because they knew that in order for them to achieve the career trajectory that they needed, they needed to have that business degree or that business skill in addition to their engineering skill. So they went and got a brand new product to add to their portfolio. And so that's the kind of way we can think about this as we continue to evolve ourselves over time. And again, it's always aligned with kind of that path or that roadmap that we want to follow to get us where we want to go. Excellent. And so now you've mentioned sort of technical skills and you've mentioned business skills. Are there other skills that would be part of this assessment? Well, you know, absolutely. I mean, soft skills. You can be the most technically proficient um, genius in the universe. Um, I'm a big fan of Big Bang Theory. So um, (laughs) I think of you know, I think of Sheldon Cooper for those uh, people listening to the podcast who maybe maybe watch uh, a little bit too much TV like myself. Um, and they maybe we can have great technical skills, right? And we can have all the certifications and we can have all the degrees in the world. But if we don't couple that with soft skills, we're actually going to find ourselves as a, at a disadvantage as well, because at the end of the day, the universe is made up of interacting with other human beings to get things done. And so there is a very important component of soft skills that matter to your career growth as well. Um, As a matter of fact, and and Rebecca, this is something that is not news for you, but we do do the um, pragmatic marketing survey every year. And we ask people, you know, what skills matter? And we get very specific feedback about the importance of soft skills and what soft skills uh, people in our industry consider important. And it's things like your ability to inspire others or your ability to build consensus or be able to um, pitch your ideas to at an executive level, an ability to be empathetic. And so while we're working very hard to foster and develop our technical skills as though that wasn't enough, we've got to also be thinking about developing our soft skills too. Otherwise, we're going to have a deficiency in our product. Yeah, I think the soft skills are often missed when people list their credentials and list their expertise, but they're so critical to really separate the different levels of product managers and and really representative of what might make someone succeed more and at a higher level. Yeah. You know, and I'm a big fan of if you haven't taken a personality profile test, like a Myers-Briggs test, take one, find out what your personality profile is and understand what that really means and how that translates to jobs that are going to be well aligned for your personality. Um, you know, I, I would love to say that I could be a rocket scientist, but I'm never going to be a rocket scientist, right? Because there's no way I would ever su- succeed at the courses required to do that. No matter how much I want to be able to do it, it's just not something that's going to be in my wheelhouse. And so we have to have an acute awareness of um, the things that really are those places where our, our personality or our disposition doesn't lend themselves either. That's half the battle too. Absolutely. Okay. So when we think about ourselves as a product and we think about some of the other concepts that we use in product management and in our training that might apply, there are a couple that really pop out that we haven't touched upon as much. One would be sort of understanding your market, right? The buyer persona. How would that relate in your mind? I think understanding the buyer persona is critical because you have to understand what is it they're looking for? 
first of all, let me let me let me back up and let me say this. We talk about selling yourself, but I think one of the biggest mistakes individuals think is every job opportunity, they approach it as though it's a deal to be won. And what they really should do is they should step back and they should say, is this a deal or is this a sales opportunity I even want? And so when you think about translating that to building products, you have to move from a mindset of saying we're building products for individual opportunities one at a time to we're building products for markets where we have a really great fit at our ability to solve the problem that that market has. And that's a really important nuance. You don't want every job out there. There are some jobs you could go get them, but you probably don't want them or you probably shouldn't have them because they're not a great fit. And so if we can step back and we can adjust our minds that way, now all of a sudden we can start looking for the buyers or hiring managers that are going to be relevant to us. And if we really start to understand the type of organization, the type of role, the type of skill sets, um, the type of manager, the type of team we want to work with, we profile that quote unquote buyer. We put ourselves in a far better position to find ourselves in roles that are going to be a great fit and a, a success for not only us, but also the organization. So it really is um, I love the way that you're thinking about that, understanding who your buyer is, understanding that buyer's profile, and then making sure that you're actually a good fit for that buyer because you may not be, and you need to go find a different buyer. That's a really great point. It's the same kind of thing again with products. We talk about you don't, it, the product isn't built for everyone. You find the right market segment who has the problems that fits your needs, or fits with what you you build and, and you want to be more targeted than that. And I think that's really true in identifying who you want to work for. And then as you go through that process, making sure that in the interview process, you're asking questions too, because to your point, they could hire you, but if it's not a good fit, it's, it's going to cost you both. Yeah. And I, you know, I've had that sensation in my life where you're sitting in the middle of an interview and you think to yourself, I could totally get this job. And then you're thinking to yourself, I totally don't want this job. <laughs> and, you know, and that, and, and it's a very hard moment to look at yourself critically and say, you know what? The right thing to do for everybody here is to take myself out of the conversation because it doesn't do anybody any good to go get a job that you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, well, I could totally convince them to hire me. It's not a great idea for either of us. And so if we don't really understand all of the things we've been talking about today, um, it makes it much harder to walk away or recognize those opportunities when they occur. But if you've done all the things that we've talked about, you know, assessing your skills, deciding your path, having those conversations, ensuring that you're talking to the right hiring managers or buyers, when you find yourself in those conversations, it's a much more empowering position to, to recognize, hey, this isn't right. I recognize it's not right. And let's save everybody the time. Um, I can tell you I, some of my best professional relationships I have in my career um, are with a couple of CEOs that I had that exact conversation with. They, they wanted, they offered me the position, but I knew it wasn't right. And we've maintained a very deep personal relationship uh, for five, six, seven, 10 years just as a result of that degree of honesty in that conversation. But I was in a position that I could do it because I'd kind of made those assessments leading up to it. So it's an important point. 
So that would sound like then when I know all that, what I, what I could create is sort of a, a positioning statement of me, right? Absolutely. Okay. So now I'm going to get on my soapbox. You just have to, you know, give me a moment. Resumes. Let's just say the resume is analogous to your positioning document. And that positioning document captures those key components, right? Who has the problem? So who's your buyer? Who's your hiring manager? What is the problem that they're trying to solve? And how are you the ideal solution to that problem? So those being the core tenets of the positioning document, take those and translate those to how you represent yourself on a resume. And I will tell you, as a hiring manager, one of the things that drives me the most crazy is if you get a resume that's like super tiny font and has tons and tons and tons and tons of information on it. I always look at that quote unquote positioning document for that individual really skeptically because it screams to me you don't really know why you're even sending me this resume. And so you're throwing at me all the information you have, and you're putting the work on me to decide what may or may not be pertinent. And I don't have that kind of time. I'd rather that you did that analysis, you distinctly distill it down, and you can clearly articulate for me how you're going to differentiate yourself, how you stand out. What do you have that other candidates might not have? And you do that in a really succinct way using a reasonable sized font. Let's say 12 <laughs> points, not four or five or six point font. Um, and so I I, uh, I think that that, that positioning document, document resume analogy is a really, really strong analogy. And if you can't distinctly distill yourself down in that way, it says to me that you haven't done some of that other hard work that we've been talking about uh, earlier in this this podcast. And I think that's a really good point. I also think that part of that positioning document needs to be that primary message, right? What do you do? Not what tasks do you complete, but what, what problems do you solve? What do you do for a living? That needs to be something that you can give and explain very succinctly. Yeah. What do you bring to the table uniquely? What is your, what is, what is, what do you uniquely bring to the table that other people don't have? And why is that relevant? And can you distill that down into, you know, 15 words or less? And if you don't know that about yourself, well, then you better go find out. Because, um, you know, that says to me, you haven't done that work up front. And so you've got to be able to, to succinctly differentiate yourself and be able to, to come down to that, that positioning statement as well. And it's interesting because I actually know that you, you've had, I've overheard this conversation. You've had this conversation with someone else who works here. And I thought, oh, I need to really do that. But there's so many opportunities to practice that because people ask you all the time, what do you do for a living, right? And so you can keep working on messaging and and I I think it's really important, right? I'd be like, I'm a VP of marketing for a training company. That doesn't at all say what I do or what we do. Uh, So I've been taking it as my own personal challenge. And maybe next time you're on, we can, you can ask me the question and I'll give you my better answer. (laughs) And Rebecca, I'll tell you your best test market for this is people on airplanes. Uh, If you travel for business and you find yourself, so be careful because you don't want to end up in a conversation you can't get out of. (laughs) Trapped in the middle seat. But invariably, invariably on airplanes, maybe short flights, um, (laughs) people have a tendency to ask you, what do you do or what do you do for a living? And I will tell you, I test market different answers. Um, 
with people on an airplane to see what kind of resonates. What what does that kind of nobody who knows nothing about what I do, they don't know anything about me. What can I say that their reaction instantaneously is like, oh, that sounds cool. That's the reaction I'm looking for on mm-hmm. airplane. So when I test something out and I don't get that reaction, I'm like, okay, that's probably not the way to do it. Now, of course, there was the one time that I told somebody I was a cardiothoracic surgeon just for the heck of it. <laughs> Discussion for a different day. It's all fun unless they are also one. And then you're just done. <laughs> and also, and also, I realized after that, if they call for a doctor on the flight, it might have been a really bad idea. So it seems funny at a split moment in time, but it's not actually something I would recommend. <laughs> All right, Kristen, we talked about a lot today. Great discussion, lots of different things. If you were to pick two things that you wanted people to do differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would they be? I think first, what we just talked about, know yourself. How do you differentiate yourself? What makes you unique? And how do you distill that down? And then the second thing I would say is I know everybody's busy and I know everybody's pressed for time. Set aside three hours a week to cultivate yourself, your skills, and your network. Spend three hours a week looking at who has a new job or a promotion on LinkedIn and sending them a congratulations. Because if you find yourself in the job market, it will be awfully nice if people have heard from you. Look at what trend, what's trending in your industry. Is there a new type of skill or a new type of training? If this was you know, 10 years ago and it seems like everybody's starting to talk about Agile, Maybe that's a good clue to you that you should research that, find that, and maybe go get some additional training in it. So set aside, you know, from nine to 12 on Sunday morning or whatever works for you, three hours a week to invest in yourself and spend that time because that three hours that you spend will pay huge dividends over the course of your career. All right, Kirsten, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure as always, and I hope you join us again. Uh, It was a pleasure and uh, you have a great uh, rest of your day. All right. And thank you all for listening. Don't forget to join us next week when we review in detail the results of this year's annual survey, including information that would help you see how your salary compares to the competition. 